Welcome to Conversations About Care, a podcast for pediatric clinical providers. Hi, this is Sandy Hassink, and I'm the medical director for the Institute for Healthy Childhood Weight at the American Academy of Pediatrics. And I recently sat down with my friends and colleagues, Dr. Tori Rogers, director of Let's Go in Maine, and Dr. Huoma Anelli, director for the Center for Healthy Weight and Nutrition at Nationwide Children's Hospital. Both Dr. Rogers and Dr. Anelli also serve as associate directors for the Institute. We sat down to discuss the Academy's interim guidance on obesity and COVID-19 and the role pediatricians play during the pandemic. Stay tuned to hear our conversation. Hi, welcome everybody. I'm Tori Rogers. I'm a pediatrician in Portland, Maine, and I'm the senior director of our Let's Go program. It's an obesity prevention program operated throughout the state of Maine. And I am thrilled to be here today with two of my really good friends, Anneli and Sandy, and we wanted to just have a conversation about, hard to believe, but about COVID, right? And how COVID affects all of us in our lives around how how we have access to food and access to physical activity, but most importantly, how it's affecting our patients with obesity. So um, we'll all introduce ourselves and then we'll just get right into it. And Nellie, I'll let you introduce yourself. Okay, thanks, Tori. It's always a pleasure when I get to talk to both of you. Um, <laughs> I'm Ihuami Nellie, and I'm a pediatrician and also the director of the Center for Healthy Weight and Nutrition at Nationwide Children's Hospital. And that's a tertiary care obesity center. I'll hand it over to Sandy now. Hi, everybody. And I just echo my delight at being here with Anneli and Tori. Um, and I'm Sandy Hassink, and I'm the medical director of the AAP's Institute for Healthy Childhood Weight. And um, I was also one of the co-authors on uh, the obesity interim COVID guidance. Great. Well, Santa, tell us a little bit about it because we do, at the AAP, we do have some interim guidance around COVID. So how did this all come to be and why was it so important that we put these statements out? Well, thanks, Tori. Um, in, in the fall, late summer, early fall, uh, a lot of us began to uh, realize reading the adult literature that adults with obesity were having significant trouble with COVID infections and they were being more severely affected. And we started to see reports that children that were hospitalized and more seriously ill also had a, uh, there was a higher likelihood that they would have obesity. So sort of immediately we got, we got alerted to this was a, a problem we wanted to put on uh, the pediatrician's radar screen. At around the same time, uh, and, and maybe a little bit before, we began reading reports out of Italy um, about their concern that during this epidemic, uh, children were likely to gain weight. And these concerns were echoed uh, really globally about people thinking with the lockdown um, and some data we had from surveys of parents before and during the lockdown that things were really changing for families. And so it was sort of a dual purpose. One is to just highlight the plight of children uh, with obesity in their families and uh, what we needed to pay attention to there and also to children in general about the, the sort of titanic shifts in lifestyle that were going on during the pandemic. And then, right. we, of course, yeah, and then we petitioned, we sort of went through the process of asking 
the academy to include this in their interim guidance and and they did so excellent because excellent and and so Anneli, you and i've had this conversation and as somebody on the on the front lines of treating patients with obesity you're seeing uh i think more of this can you tell us what you're seeing and what what you know about um, in your community for the primary care providers and what they're seeing with their patients with obesity? Sure. I, I, one of the things that's happened, right, in 2020, apart from the fact that it was a year that didn't seem to end yeah. at all, um, is that um, the level of mental health mm -hmm. issues, right, in our family, the anxiety, um, was really off the roof, and it should be. This is a once-in-a-lifetime event. But not only um, the pandemic in 2020, but also the other events that happened mm -hmm. that heightened the stressors that our families and children mm -hmm. uh, were exposed to. I say that because when we look at obesity, right, we always talk about energy in and energy out. Um, but we also know that there's so many physiologic processes that are are um, affected by stress and cortisol mm -hmm. and our sleep schedules um, that all ride into how we um, regulate our weight. And taken together on the front lines, um, we are seeing children gain weight. Mm -hmm. And I, I think what is outstanding uh, or what, what is extraordinary about what we're seeing from primary care providers who have sent me messages is the amount of weight gain that we're seeing. So mm -hmm. We're seeing weight gain in 20 pound, 15, 30 pound ranges over a nine month period. Wow. Wow. And yeah. it will be, I was just gonna say that it will be interesting to see what happens at the next NHANES um, yes. when we look at the prevalence of overweight and obesity in our country among our right. and adults. Right. So we all we all knew this was happening and we were also seeing it in our own lives about our own issues around access to healthy food and physical activity. And we also understand that our patients who don't have so much and maybe struggling more um, just to get any food, they're struggling even more to get the healthy food. So, Cindy, tell us a little bit about the, the, the two, the interim guidance, the two different um, uh, pieces that you co-authored. Yeah, well, thanks, Tori. Um the first one was obesity management and treatment during COVID-19. And we we actually knew from data and studies that were done during the summertime that children, when family routines were disrupted by summer schedules, sleep might have been a little dysregulated, physical activity might have been reduced and less regular, screen time increased. We know from studies of summertime that when these factors come into play, we had weight gain. Um, so that was one thing, and we so we knew, like Anneli said, we knew we, we had a suspicion this was going to happen. We also uh, wanted to focus people's attention on obesity as a chronic disease, and that this is a, mm -hmm. a disease that we really can't let slip through the cracks during the the lockdowns and the shifts in schedules and the the um, all the things that were happening in primary care because uh, many of us have. Uh, sort of think of obesity as a chronic disease and it's sort of smoldering, but right now with what Anneli just described, a match was lit in the pile of embers of obesity and now we have some flames. So we wanted to highlight uh, uh, the risk and what was happening and the, the risk of obesity itself as a disease 
that cause immunologic dysregulation, uh, respiratory compromise, um, and gave rise to comorbidities like hypertension and diabetes that those disease manifestations themselves put kids at increased risk for COVID severity by their very nature. So we had those things on our mind when we drafted uh, the recommendations and the recommendations really centered around uh, don't let obesity fall through the cracks, continue regular follow-up and treatment for these children and continue to work to identify uh, and reduce the obesity-related comorbidities. And um, embedded in that was uh, recognizing additional parent and family stress. And of course, mm -hmm. we know many families have obesity multi-generationally, and some of these parents are more at risk and have had significant disease. Uh, so uh, in that context of additional stress, and risk for COVID, which we want to be aware of, uh, really uh, begin to, to really partner with families in a, a deeper way about how you can, how we could help them uh, hang on to a healthier lifestyle. Uh, in addition to this, uh, eating, we have some early reports now that eating uh, patterns are becoming somewhat disordered during the pandemic and so to be on alert for that and to uh, just touching back with what Anelli said, uh, uh, be aware that the social determinants of health now, we've unmasked uh, the real problems in um, disparities we have due to social determinants of health, the real problems in accessing food and physical activity, getting mm -hmm. healthcare, getting mental health help. And um, so the guidance really centered around uh, this, uh, this vulnerable group of children with obesity. Mm -hmm. yeah. And Ellie, go ahead. It looks like you were going to say something. Oh, I was going to ask a question this time. So um, I, I, one of the things I, I really like in the guidance um, that was put out was highlighting the social drivers of health, right? And mm -hmm. issues around disparity and health uh, equity. And I think it was remarkable how you were in, in both of those um, guidance, um, gosh, it was remarkable in how in both of those articles, you were able to pull that thread through, both looking at the risk factors in addition to how we manage or we tackle these risk factors. Mm -hmm. I did read somewhere that um, the economic and financial hardship seen with COVID has a occurred less in middle and higher income Americans mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and more in our lower income ones. Can both of you comment about um, what you see happening or what perhaps the physician in the office can do with these families? Well, you know, I, I, think, I think you're absolutely right. And, and as Sandy said, what COVID has done is really sort of taken these layers off the, the inequities that we've had in healthcare. It's just We've all known they're there. We've all seen the graphs with children who are, are on Medicaid have higher rates of obesity. We keep showing these graphs and we keep, yes, yes. But all of a sudden with COVID, it's just like uh, these kids had so many social programs that were social programs and environments that were supporting them. School meals, school lunch, school activity, recreational uh, uh, opportunities for physical activity. And when those all went away, you realize how much more 
these families were just very fragile. And I don't, I don't want to make people feel like they're victims. I don't mean it that way. I just mean that they were fragile. And what, what we're seeing in a lot of the communities is the pediatricians have known this for a while, but now it's right in front of them. And there were two things that I've seen that, that have been happening. One is the pediatricians have stepped up more than they've ever had because they're like, this is what we do. We take care of the whole family and we're seeing the whole family struggle. And the struggles are different. The struggles are different for the people that have more, but they're still struggling. They're still struggling with their mental health issues. They're still struggling with the disruptions that occurred uh, to, to their lives. How, however, the struggles do look differently with people who are in poverty. Um, so there's the there, I would say the struggles are both in both the, these different groups that I just talked about. But the pediatricians have stepped into this gap and they're starting to understand that we need to really pause and address these issues of anxiety and depression and sleep disorders and eating disorders. And I found that the pediatricians at first were a little hesitant, but they've jumped in. They've also jumped in in ways of using uh, virtual visits. And so many pediatricians say, at first, the virtual visits were a little awkward and not quite there, but we're all getting used to that. And in some ways, in Maine, we're a very rural state. So in some ways, many of the patients are like, I'd much rather jump on a virtual visit than drive an hour and a half for that. The other thing that I'm finding is that people are being incredibly innovative around how you can use virtual, <clears throat> excuse me, cooking classes and things like that. So this, this seems to be there's no light at this tunnel, but I guess there's a light at the end of the tunnel, but there seems to be some light around this innovation that we can be doing to meet our families where they are. I will also say the schools have stepped up in an amazing way to provide access and universal school meals, which is what I firmly believe we should be doing. So when you start to think about the role of the pediatrician, I think they've jumped into this gap and addressing it. And they've also realized that our kids that are out in the community, as a pediatrician, I need to know what's happening in that school and how can I advocate for those school meals to be available to everybody? And how can I advocate for when the time is right to get these kids back into regular physical activity? Yeah, and, and Tori, what you said is so important. I think jumping in, and then I also think of reaching out because I've mm -hmm. been thinking a lot about pediatricians as the remaining uh, child health network that basically covers the country, is available to kids of all ages, uh, is the primary outreach to children uh, medically under five for sure, that just the realization that we are that connector network, mm -hmm. that when they don't have access to school, they have access to us. When they can't go to the Boys and Girls Club, they can come to us. So I, I just, uh, think a lot about, uh, you know, reaching out. If you haven't seen a patient for a while um, and that patient may be in this stress storm of, of what's happening in the family. And, you know, just something we all know, we've all seen families under stress and something we know for sure is that when a family uh, starts to undergo stress, nutrition and activity are, are, are a couple of the first things that go out the window. It's really hard to hang on to your healthy lifestyle when you're under any kind of stress. Maybe somebody's sick or somebody got a divorce. Now, now we exponentially magnify the stress and those healthy lifestyle, simple routines, um, 
you know, scheduling meals, uh, scheduling sleep time. Um, there have been studies about people who are stressed who, who start like for, for not putting on their seatbelts or brushing their teeth. A lot of this just goes by the wayside. So I think that um, it's a given that families are under stress and it's a given that healthy habits will sort of can fall off the radar. And because of the, the wonkiness of the healthcare system and how we've all had to adjust, people may be dropping off our radar. And so mm -hmm. the, I, I think reaching out and jumping in are two things that I, I really think about a lot that's, that's required. And I, just another just realization that we as, we as pediatricians are the remaining child health network that's universal in this country. And I just think if mm -hmm. we sit with that a minute, we can just realize how significant that is. Yeah. I, I, I couldn't agree more with you on standing about the role of pediatricians, mm -hmm. right? I think that as, as um, one of the things that's happened with, with the pandemic too, is that we are also under a lot of stress, right? Mm -hmm. It is a given that we're under stress, that um, there's a lot of anxiety and some of it is being driven by our desire to be there for our families, for our mm -hmm. kids, that mm -hmm. do our best, right? Mm -hmm. So often um, we, we have to stop and remind ourselves that one of the things we do really, really well is our ability to listen, right? And to connect and to engage. Um, it, it doesn't matter if it's a, 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 a three month old that's only smiling. We <laughs> have that skill. That's, that's what makes us, I think, um, you know, the best of specialties, but if, if, even if that's the least you as a provider can do, it is often enough at this point in time. And that's an important message for us um, to, yeah. to, to have. And, and now that's yeah. so well said that, and I think Sandy and I have this opportunity to be working with a group of uh, amazing pediatricians across the country. And when we, when we meet with them, we often will pause and say, hey, take a deep breath. Let's just take, like, take care of ourselves. Let's take a deep breath for a minute. And then also let them all know that we do have this ability to, to listen to people and we want to hear their stories. And just as a side, I've been working at a vaccine clinic and we've been vaccinating people over the age of 70. And I talk to everybody. I find out their story. I do all this. And this older gentleman came up to me who was one of the volunteers and says, Tori, you, you seem to talk more with the patients than any other vaccinator. And I'm like, yeah, I really like it. You know, I like their story. I like to see how they're going. And he goes, Are you a pediatrician? And I said, I am. And he goes, I know it. And, and, and you just realize as pediatricians, they're not just a pa one patient. They're our family. Yeah. And we see them over a lifetime. And I think realizing that in the pandemic, we have that opportunity to take the skills that we have and the reasons that we became pediatricians and to say, I want to reach out. I want to jump in. I want to understand your stress. I can't solve the pandemic, but we can work on small pieces. And I think that the guidance talks about that, right? Sandy, the guidance yeah. talks about yeah. things that we can do as pediatricians, understanding the stress of our patients, but some specific things. Can you tell us a little more about some of the, maybe the nuggets from the guidance? Sure. Um, and these nuggets are sort of both in the obesity guidance and the healthy lifestyle guidance. 
before we do that, I just wanted to shout out to our teams because mm -hmm. I think the other thing pediatricians do really well is work in teams. And everybody from the person answering the phone in your office to the person maybe taking the checking the kids' vitals or filling out paperwork, they are they are so important because they're all making connections at the same time you're making connections. And these multiple kinds of connections are what really uh, give the families a sense they're not alone and there right. are people here to help. So just a few things that we can think about uh, specific guidance. Certainly when you're thinking about um, nutrition, uh, evaluating for food insecurity and access to fresh food um, is really important. And then We've already talked about how kind of routines and patterns around eating sort of wander away from families. And so just um, checking in about can, are there some routines that could be reinstituted? Are families interested in that? Regular meal schedules and snack schedules, um, eating together uh, at, at, with, a fa with each other as a family if they can, um, and uh, looking for any um, disordered eating patterns. Um, mm -hmm. It's important also to, to understand the context of the family. I mean, we recommend physical activity, but that family may be hamstrung. They may be no physical activity options that they're used to. There may be um, people are really busy and they're, they're, it's hard to make a connection. And so here's where you need to start with whatever, whatever can be done. Um, if they're, you know, you know, if they're watching TV or they have screen time, maybe saying for every hour of screen time, can you get up for five minutes and just walk around the house? Can you just stand up? I'm really talking small changes here. Yeah, um, can you drink a glass of water with lunch instead of uh, fruit juice? Anything they can do uh, is like that first step, step on a journey. You know, I do one thing then I can do the one thing, then I can do the next thing. And you really have to meet the patients exactly where they are, in a, you know, in a no judgment zone. I mean, this is everybody's struggle. We're all in this and we're all searching for ways to just, you know, take, take, a, take the first step on that healthy journey. So I, and uh, I think that asking your families how it's going for them, what, you know, go through their day. What does eating look like? What does activity look like? What does screen time look like? And with that information, uh, where do they see they might make a change and trying to help them with right exactly where they are? Great. So, so that, as you were talking about that, a couple of things came into my mind. And Anneli, I was wondering if you could talk about this. So, Sandy, you talked about obesity as a chronic disease. And and one of the things that I'm sensing with the pandemic is that we're starting to really all agree, yes, obesity is a disease. It's not a problem. It's not a condition. It's not an issue. It's a disease. And if we treat it like a disease, there's opportunities for all of us to come together because as pediatricians, we treat diseases all the time. And we do primary care, we do prevention, we do counseling, but we also treat diseases. So just can you talk a little bit about obesity as disease and sort of, and I'm not sure if we, we I think I know we do mention it in one of the, the guidances. Yeah, so I think when when I see a kid with obesity, it's I am looking obviously at their weight and their height, but also the trajectory over time. Yeah. And and that's important um, because that gives you a, a sense of what's been happening or something we call mapping, where you try and figure out where they've had large jumps in their weight, 
and perhaps um, try and tie it back to things that have happened in their in their environment mm -hmm. um, that may have led to that large jump. It's I always start there, but we are very much aware that obesity is a linchpin disorder. It's chronic mm -hmm. and it's a linchpin. It does not travel alone. It mm -hmm. comes with a lot of comorbidities. And unfortunately, I think before we would minimize it in kids, but we're learning more and more that uh, we're see, we see all these comorbidities and they're increasing type 2 diabetes, obstructive sleep apnea, right? Dyslipidemia. Um, and we, we skeletal problems, um, we see them frequently in our children. And we also are aware that obesity is not just one group, right? right. So you have the kids that are overweight based on their, their body mass index. You have the kids with obesity. Then you have the kids with severe obesity who are at this highest risk for mm -hmm. these cardiometabolic um, comorbidities that if not addressed um, can have pretty negative consequences in the long term. Right. When, whenever I talk to a family about obesity being a chronic disease, I also highlight what the studies tell us. Mm -hmm. And that is when you already have obesity, it is likely to persist. Right. And the mm -hmm. older you are at that point, the more it's likely mm -hmm. to persist. Right. So that already tells us the chronicity of what we're dealing with. Mm -hmm. So, so interesting too. So when you're thinking about, as you're talking in, in obesity as a disease and these comorbidities, the mental health comorbidities are, are forefront. And right now I, I sense that there's so much more of that. I also, as pediatricians, we're used to talking to our patients and diagnosing ADHD and anxiety and depression and potentially <laughs> binge eating disorders and partnering with our subspecialist when we need to to figure out the severity of the comorbidities and then the treatment. Sandy, can you talk a little bit about, you know, yeah. what your thoughts are on the role of the primary care provider in, in COVID and, and the mental health issues and what we should be doing sure. as primary care providers? So in some way, this conversation takes me back to when I started taking care of children with obesity in the 1980s. And the journey is, the journey was like this. We started seeing kids with obesity. We we're reading the adult literature and we said, these adults, they have liver disease, they have sleep apnea, they have lipid problems. And nobody thought, ever thought, that these problems would come down into childhood. So we started asking kids about their sleep, looking for liver enzymes, looking at their lipid profiles and their metabolic status. And every time we asked the question, we were finding kids with these problems. And so, what, what has happened over time is we went from a state where uh, people thought kids would somehow be protected from comorbidities mm -hmm. to a state where we know there is no protection of children. Childhood is not protective. Obesity is a chronic disease with comorbidities all the way uh, along the longitudinal trajectory of pediatrics. So w what's happening is when that child comes into to our offices, we need to be screening for BMI and classifying, of course, are the, do they have obesity, overweight, healthy weight? But after the screening comes evaluation. And something that's really important is it's not, it's an evaluation like you would have any other chronic disease. If you had a patient with 
asthma, you would be evaluating triggers, exacerbations, medication use, other conditions that might be influencing that. Same with obesity. And when we find these comorbidities and they're, they're uh, protein comorbidities, they affect every single system in the body. So you need to do a, a really good review of systems and physical, and that includes mental health, you know, every system affected. When you find them, there are, then comes the sort of decision point, how, how intense are they? And you need to hang in with your obesity treatment because ultimately it's the obesity that's, that's putting the um, metal to the pedal on these comorbidities, but find partners to help you treat them. So maybe you are comfortable treating depression or anxiety in your office. That's great. Maybe you need a partner for the liver disease and type 2 diabetes. And this is where conversations with your local subspecialists about how you, how you would like to manage the care. Maybe the subspecialist right. wants to see every single kid with elevated liver enzymes. Maybe they don't. Maybe they want you to do part of that workup, and they'll give you criteria of who they want to see. So this is where those conversations can be very important. And there's one mental health stigma that's unique to our patients, and that's weight bias and stigma. So as we are looking for all the comorbidities, this is certainly kids are stigmatized for many other things, but weight bias and stigma we know affects mental health, affects their ability to, to uh, uh, facilitate and access care. And we need to be on the lookout. And I, I guess I just wanna make sure that we all understand that weight bias is cultural. It's the medical providers have it, we all have it. It's, we need to, to recognize that. And that um, always be careful when you're starting to attribute something just to the weight. No, that child who comes in who's walking with an unusual gait, don't attribute, you have to evaluate those hips and knees and feet and ankles, you know, it's not just weight. That kid who's uh, kind of quiet or sad, you have to, you need to, the attribution to weight is, is what used to happen. Now we know that underneath that weight, that quiet, sad kid could have depression, could have been Correct. and teased, you know, all of that. So I think we're, we're, we're learning, not only has the COVID ripped the cover off uh, the inequities, disparities, what's happening, but also really highlighted uh, that we have to tackle this as, as we would any other chronic disease. Exactly. And, and as you're talking, treating some of these comorbidities can help their weight status. And it's not necessarily, so treating the anxiety and depression may make people feel in a different place that they can make different choices about, or they want to be active, or they want to, the opportunities for, for eating healthy. So I realize you probably just have a few more minutes here. And as we think about these two pandemics that we're in, right, so that's obesity and COVID, and they've intersected in, in, in such a terrible way. And as we start to see the light, maybe at the end of the, the COVID pandemic with our vaccines coming on board, we're still gonna be left with an obesity pandemic and it probably is gonna be worsened because of COVID. So as we think going forward, it, it seems that the guidance that, that you developed, uh, Sandy, on the, on the assessment and the management of treatment of uh, obesity in this time frame is really important. And then also as we move forward, continuing on how we support our children and their families in this difficult time 
of making sure that they have what's in, what they need to make the to hopefully have access to healthier foods and physical activities. So, um, any last words, Anali? And then Sandy, I'll give you the last last word. Well, I I so I like to end being optimistic, right? Children um, can be resilient. And that resilience is really driven by having a supportive caregiver, right? Somebody that's there, they know it's there to walk them through these challenges, um, to address their anxiety, to provide care for them. And I am also optimistic, as much as the adults in society have struggled, that we will be able to pull it out. Um, so with, with the help of um, pediatricians and other providers, and as well as community organizations, right, and schools, um, that we can come around our children and give mm -hmm. them that caring, supportive environment, that at some point we'll have this discussion again, and, and they will be all right. That's right. My, my hope. I love that, Anneli, and Sandy, I'll get to you in just a minute, but that's that ending with that wraparound, right? As a pediatrician, we do have that opportunity to, to, you know, to reach out and to jump in to help our patients and families and realizing that we all, we're all trained to do that. We all want to do that and, and we can. So, and Sandy. So just to, to, to echo what we've all said, that, that the ability to reach out and connect with a child and the family actually lasts for a very long time. I used to have patients come back to me after five years and say, I'm ready to work now. I'm ready to go now. They would bring me their, I'm old enough where they would bring me their children, you know, to see. So I think uh, this connection that we make with our patients is unique and just so important because that connection allows them to feel supported and to know that that door is open. Maybe they can't do all the work now, but when they can do the work, they will be back. They will come and they know where they can get help. And uh, I think just a shout out to all the pediatricians who have uh, reached out and jumped in and are just so, uh, so in a very loving way, taking care of the kids during this time. Yep, exactly. Thank you for listening to my conversation today with Tori and Anelli about the impact of the pandemic on child health, specifically around obesity. Please remember to check out some of the relevant resources, including both pieces of guidance, supporting healthy nutrition and physical activity during COVID-19 pandemic and obesity management and treatment during COVID-19. Also, be sure to check out the recently updated Food Insecurity Toolkit for Pediatricians for additional tools and resources to screen for food insecurity. And thanks again for listening. resources or opinions expressed during the Conversations About Care podcast series are solely those of the individuals and do not necessarily represent those of the American Academy of Pediatrics. The topics included in these podcasts do not indicate an exclusive course of treatment or serve as a standard of medical care. 
variations taking into account individual circumstances may be appropriate. The primary purpose of this podcast is to explore common themes related to quality pediatric care from the perspective of clinicians. This podcast series does not constitute medical or other professional advice or services. This podcast is available for private, non-commercial use only. Advertising, which is incorporated into, placed in association with, or targeted toward the content of this podcast without the expressed approval and knowledge of the American Academy of Pediatrics podcast developers is forbidden. You may not edit, modify, or redistribute this podcast.